Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. Good to see everyone here today. Hey, I, uh, I would love to joke and play around with you, but I, I have something so urgent on my heart. We're starting a new series um, this week called Ecclesia. You can see it right behind me. Anybody know what that means? Anybody? Just shout it out if you do. It's the it's Greek word for church in the Bible. And I think that if we took a handheld microphone and looked for maybe five people in the auditorium that could, that could really define what ecclesia really means in the context of, of Jesus and, uh, and the apostles, uh, I'm not sure we would pass that test. And it bothers me because I've given 24 years of my life uh, to serving in the church. And I believe that God has better days for the church, not worse. I believe the, the God wants to use the church in powerful ways. I don't think that the church is worthless or useless anymore. I'm tired of talking about what the church is not. And I really want to talk about uh, who the church is called to be and what Jesus is doing in the church and what he wants to pour out on the church, right? And so how many of you know that God uh, is, is rebuilding the church, but he's got a dream for, for the church, not, not just Providence, but for all the other churches. We're not in competition with other churches. Any church that names the name of Jesus, we're championing and we're cheering on. Um, and, but God has a, a dream for the Big C Church, and he has not left it up to us to make it whatever we want. And so I want to talk... Uh, I want to start a series on, uh, on church called Ecclesia, asking the question, what is church anyway, biblically and according to Jesus? Now, I want to tell you, as we dig in here, um, I, I do want to reiterate how important this is to me. Um, man, I love the church. And it's so weird because it's kind of like I come from a divorced family and I should hate family, but I love family. And uh, man, the church has been a source of massive and soul-crushing pain for me. But I love the church. I just really, it, it, it burns in me. I, there's, there's nothing so far that has been able to take me off course from seeing the church go after Jesus. And number two, though, as we're digging into this, I'm, uh, I just want to let you know right from the start that I know that I'm sounding more and more increasing like an old man. I, I get that. I'm 43 years old. I'm going to be 44 this year. Uh, I know I'm sounding like an old man. Like when I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at young people now and saying, you need to learn how to study the Bible. Are you reading your Bible? Digital doesn't count. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking and saying these things. I'm trying to be cool, but I'm just not. Um, I, I, I know that I'm sounding more like an old man, but what I am realizing in my older age is this the old moms and the old dads that actually know. <laughs> it is not the young people that are like, all the old people need to get out of my way and let me do it. Like that is how novices talk. And so we need to actually, uh, there's ancient doors that God wants to open again in the church and in people's lives. And the, the sooner we start sitting around tables, just not to talk, but just to listen to people who are decades older than us, the better for us, right? That's what I'm learning in my old age. I'm learning, man, the less that I can talk and the more that I can listen, uh, the better. And so I'm hoping, I, I want us to listen to one another. I want us to listen to 2,000 years of church history. I want us to get into the Bible and not form opinions divorced from the scriptures, 
I want us to get into the Bible, and I want us to have ears open to the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the church was birthed by the Spirit? If the Holy Spirit wasn't alive and well in the church, then there would be no church. We would, we would be a club or a, a, a YMCA as something, but we would not be the church. There's so much to church that we need to get into. So did I whet your appetite at all? All right, so hey, so here's, here's what I'm gonna do today. Grab your Bibles, please open to the book of Matthew, um, starting with chapter 16, and then we will dive in there a second. But I'm gonna tell you this, that I'm going to resist the urge to dive right into what I believe or what I think maybe you believe or what we believe to be the problem with the church. I am not starting with the problem, okay? And I, I think that that leads us down horrible roads. So we're not starting with the problem today, if we did, it's kind of like this. Have you ever um, taken advice as a parent? Have you ever taken advice from someone who has never been a parent or doesn't adequately understand from experience? Have you ever done that? Well, I've listened and laughed, right? But you don't know how to be a parent until you are one. And so I, I, don't, want, I don't want to listen to a bunch of people that just love to hear uh, the, the sound of their own voice. It's, uh, I, I, don't, I think often we are quick to volunteer um, information. We're quick to volunteer our own points, but that's actually a sign of immaturity, not understanding. And so I'm not just gonna say, here's what's wrong, and here's what's wrong, and here's what's wrong, and here's what's wrong, when we don't even uh, understand what the word ecclesia means, the biblical context from that. I want us to become a people of understanding. I want us to know how to seek God. I want us to know how to study the Bible. I want us to know how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want us to know how to wait on God. I want us to know how to be in a room with people with nothing digital, just waiting and being bored and liking it. Like we have to learn some of these things again. And so I'm, I'm not starting with, with the problem. I, I want us to be people of understanding and I, I want to just go to some places here that I think some down some roads, down some paths that I think will help us understand better what the church is. And then we can take what the Bible says uh, you know, the, the dream of the church is according to God, and then we can hold it up next to what it actually is, and we can say, hey, how can we do better, all right? So l listen to this. I'm gonna drop a few statistics on you. Do you all like uh, stats at all? I'm not sure you'll like these, all right? Here's some stats on the church. Uh, since 1993, okay, um, one, there's one-third less, uh, one less people attending the church than uh, in almost 2023. So in, in 30 years, the population of the world has grown, but there's a third less people in the church than in 1993, okay? Um, uh, how about this one? People who consider themselves to be practicing Christians attend a church gathering on average one time per month, okay? Now, the, the reason that is, you know, I, I'm tossing that one out there is because this, imagine that you are a part of a family and you spend two hours with your family one time per month. Would that be a healthy, healthy family? Uh, I don't think so, so I'm throwing that out. Let's talk about the church since COVID, okay? Uh, since COVID, 23% of former church goers just stopped going. Okay, that's almost a quarter of the church. One, one out of every four people just, they never went back. And I know that, you know, let, me, let me just, let me say this right now. Some of you are saying, well, that's because we're the church. It doesn't matter. I'm saying that gathering matters, okay? And I'm about to tell you why. Uh, but so a quarter of the church just no longer showing up is not good and healthy, okay? Just think of this not in the context of business, 
Think about this in the context of family. If you lost a quarter of your family, you just never saw them again, would that be good according to God? I don't think so. Uh, how about this? 36% of, the, of people that were going to church before COVID uh, have come back and have, have rejoined their original church. All right, that's great. But 41% of people who were going to a church before COVID, they came back to church, but they went to a different church, okay? That has really that has really changed dynamics and relationships and all kinds of things in the church. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm just saying that it is different, and it is the stats according to Barna. And then how about this one? As a result of, of this, plus about a 1,000 other things, almost half of pastors, almost one out of every two pastors, if they haven't quit the pastorate, they've at least considered, Okay. Because when you take pastors, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff we can watch about Hillsong on YouTube and all this stuff. And there's crazy churches and, you know, every, you, know, you know, famous pastors breaking everybody's hearts. But did you know that there are a few good ones out there still? You know that? You know, people that actually have given their whole lives just out of purity, serving God, trying to walk in the calling on their life. Do you know what happens when you lose about three-quarters of your friends? Three-quarters of the people that you bled with would have died for? You know what that does to pastors? Well, they just, they just want to say enough of this. All right? I'll do what everybody else does. I'll watch it on TV, and I'll just do church in my room, right? It's working for others, you know? So that's a really, real battle, and the mental health is a massive thing uh, for pastors, and we, we could really fall off a cliff and go into that one. It's really real stuff, all right? So should we be concerned with these stats? And I could keep going, but I, I don't want to just, I just want to toss a few things so we can just kind of get a taste of what's happening in the church right now. Um, should we be concerned? Um, and I, as I ask that question, I, I want us to just take our expert hats off for a second, because let's say, listen, none of us are experts here on the church, right? Let's take expert hats off, and let's put on humility hats for a moment, and, and let's, let's, let's just think about this. If, if this is what's going on in the church, like, like should we be concerned, or, sh or should we just, you know, be, be something else? And, and uh, my concern is that we look at these stats and stuff, and we have opinions about them, but we, and I've already said this multiple times now, but listen to this, we don't know what the church is. We don't know what it is. And it's hard when you look at something and you don't know what it is, it's hard then to use it in its proper function, right? So if you look at a lawnmower and think that it's a hairbrush, you know, and you start using it, that's going to hurt. Or if you, if you look at a, you know, if you look at a, a church and you think that it's a, let's say a restaurant, we, we use this terminology a lot. We, we borrowed it from other friends and you go into that church and you just want to order goods and you don't show up to serve, you, sure, you show up to be served, then you're going to be disappointed, or if you go to a, a restaurant and treat it like, it like it's your house and you, you, know, you invade everybody's privacy around the tables and you actually go into the kitchen and start you know, taking food that you didn't pay for and serving it along with the hooks, like you're going to be booted out of that. It's like you have to look at what it actually is and then use it accordingly. And so we haven't gotten it right on what the church actually is and, and in turn how to use it. And so where we go when we, when we find out what the church is, if we actually really want to know, is we, we have to go to the scriptures and we have to begin to dream with God. Do you know that one of our core values at Providence is we dream with God? We've got a lot of dreamers here. We've got a lot of visionaries here. And, and we love dreams and visions, but we don't love dreams and visions where we dream and then we ask God to bless them. We love receiving dreams and visions from God and then making them ours and then running in his direction, right? So the question is, what is God's dream for the church? What is it? Is God's dream for the church that it's safe enough that I never get my toes stepped on? 
Is, is God's dream for the church that it's short enough that I beat the Baptist to lunch? Is that what it is? Is, is God's dream for the church, is, is that, you know, it, it just makes me feel good? Is God's dream for the church that I would just go and be seen? Is, is, is that really God's dream for the church or is it much more? And I just want to tell you this morning that it's so much more than this. So Matthew chapter uh, 16 is where we're going to be today uh, for the most part. And I, I'm going to read this passage. And the reason I'm starting here is, is because um, this is the first place where we see in the Gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. So when we refer to the, the Gospels as books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are actually talking about and showing the life of Jesus on earth, okay? When we go to the Gospels uh, and we look at Jesus' life, this is one of two places. Places that Jesus ever uses the word ecclesia or church. Okay, so that's where we're starting today. Make sense? Listen to this. Starting with verse 13, um, it says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Simon Barjona just basically means uh, Simon, son of Jonah, that Jonah was uh, you know, Peter's dad, Simon's dad. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. There's the word, that's ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Look at verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now let's look at this for a moment and break it down a little bit. I, I feel like there's, um, I, I can pull a few basic truths about the church out, uh, out of this passage. Most of them are, uh, are surrounded by verse 18, which says, I tell you, Jesus is saying, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's so much just in that verse, but let's look at the whole passage that I just read together, and let's pull out a few basic truths about the church. These are foundational ones. These aren't just kind of random exciting ones. I think they're exciting, but these are foundational truths about the church that we have to know, and we have to get into our heart as anchors, okay? So here's the first truth that I want us to see, is that the church is built on Jesus, okay? The church is built on Jesus. Um, I gotta say this. Um, the church is not built on love. We operate in love, but there's, there's, there's so much out here that there's, I've heard, I've heard former leaders from this church saying that religions are all, all the same, basically. They all have to do with love. This, it, it, it weasels its way into the church so stealthily. And then, then who in the right mind is going to disagree with that? Well, someone with a biblical clue, because the church is built on Jesus, not on love. Jesus is the embodiment of love, and, and he is love. But you have to attach your definition of love to the name of Jesus, or it's not biblical love, okay? So the, the church is built on Jesus. Like the, This is what, what Christianity is much different than other world religions because of this. Other world religions may call us to love one another like the scriptures do, but Jesus is the only is the, is the only one, God in the flesh, who has called the people of God to be built on him, the person of Jesus, not just concepts 
okay? So here the church is built on Jesus unapologetically. We don't prance and dance around this one. This is absolutely foundational. If you love loving other people, but you couldn't give a rip about Jesus, you're just not a Christian, okay? So the church is built on Jesus, and I get this. Do you see, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, uh, I know that I'm getting myself in trouble today. This is a much debated passage. This is where Protestants and Catholics tend to part ways. Our Catholic friends would say that on this rock is actually Peter, and that's why he's the first pope. I would, I would wholeheartedly disagree with that, even though I wave to my Catholic friends, I high-five them, and I, I, you know, I, I'm just like, okay, guys. But I completely disagree with that. I really believe that on this rock is, uh, well, let me, let me uh, say it this way. In my opinion, what Jesus is not saying is that he is building the church on the person of Peter. Okay? All right? What, the, what, what Jesus is saying is that he's building the church on the confession and the revelation that Peter had, okay? So the foundation of the church is not Peter, okay? It doesn't matter if somehow you're related to him and you go way back. God's not looking at who you're related to. He's looking for faith, all right? And so, so the, the church is not built on the person of Peter. The uh, church is built on the confession of Peter. That confession being Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what the church is built on, all right? So, so the foundation of the church is the revelation and the confession that Peter received and said. Amen. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. When we say that Jesus is the Christ, we're saying that he's the Messiah. When we're saying that he's the Messiah, we're saying that he's the anointed one. When we're saying that he's, he's the, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, we're saying he's the one that had been prophesied of for millennia and is now the embodiment and the fulfillment of. This is the one that the church is built on. The church is built on Jesus he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. He, this is where, when we're staring at Jesus, we're staring at the eternally begotten son of God who wasn't created but has always existed, and we build our lives on him. That is, that is what the church is built on. The church is built on Jesus, and Peter got it right. That's why, that's why Jesus got excited. Now, l listen to this. If the church was built on the person of Peter, why then at the very end of this passage, see verse 20? Then Jesus, then he, strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, the reason he's charging them, hey, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ, is because what he was just talking about was the reality that he was saying that he's the Christ. And, and Peter was the one that announced that, and that was the topic of, of the conversation. If the topic of the conversation was Peter is the, you know, the, the first pope, <laughs> I said it, all right? Then, then he would have said, then he would have strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that, that Peter's the Pope. But he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about him being the Christ and Peter got it right. And he's like, he's like a forerunner. He's the, he spoke up and Jesus got excited about it because that means that the father was revealing supernatural knowledge to these, these young men that he loved so much. Come on, somebody. Anybody? All right. So, the, uh, so the, the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. It's built on Jesus, not built on, uh, the church should be the most loving people on the planet, all right? 
I'm not saying that we, it's built on Jesus, not on love. If you know Jesus and love Jesus, the life of Jesus will be manifest in your, in your life and you will be a loving person, but it's, not, it's built on Jesus. That's where it starts, that's foundational. But this passage also shows us that Jesus is building the church. Jesus is building the church, actively building the church. Now we just came through a series uh, weeks ago called Rebuild. You know what happens when you, when you take something that was built for original purpose and then you mess it up so much that it's rubble is you have to rebuild it. I think in some of those places where we have, where we have decided that, no, I'm building the church. I'm building the church. We don't even ask Jesus what he wants. We don't even say, Jesus, what's your dream for the church? We just run with our dreams and that's celebrated and that's actually taught. You know, the whole, the, the whole church growth movement is basically find a visionary that has a vision of the church and get behind her or him. You know, well, there's been a lot of building of dreams that never originated with Jesus. So those things need to be torn down and rebuilt so the church actually looks like Jesus's dream, not ours. Hello? But Jesus is actively building the church. The question is, do you think your dream is better than his? All right, and they go have fun with that. Or do you wanna get in line with his dream for his church? Jesus promised this, I love this. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will, it's a promise. So we're all like, what's gonna to happen to the church? Have you heard the stats? Yeah, I have. Have you heard that right leave it? Yeah, I have. Like, the, here's, here's what I know is that Jesus has not lost control, that he has promised that he will build his church. It's going to be hard. And in, in fact, Jesus uh, says the gates of hell are gonna to try to prevail against the church, right? We'll get to that in a moment. But what I know is that Jesus hasn't stopped building his church. And what maybe seems weird and crazy, like the church falling to pieces, is maybe the church needing to fall to pieces, get refined, and be rebuilt, all right? All right, so Jesus is building the church, and he says, I will build my church. This word here is ecclesia. And we're gonna define that in a moment. Just, just hold on to that word for a, for a second because there's, we've gotta spend some time on what ecclesia actually means. But we need, we need to hear this. First time Jesus ever uses this word, ecclesia, and he's referring to the church that he's building is not just the local church, but the capital C church in the world. You know that there is, there is so much beautiful Jesus building stuff going on in this world. And we can't forget that we, we are part of a family that is global. And we're, we're part of a, a family that is also supernatural. Right now, the Bible says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. That's, that's our brothers and sisters that have gone on before us that are literally cheering us on right now. Like, let's rebuild with Jesus. Let's build this thing with Jesus. Don't, like, don't get sidetracked here. And so the, the church is pretty massive, pretty historic and pretty incredible. And Jesus is promising that he will build his ecclesia. But here's another one that's, that's pretty cool. We say, that we, when we look at this passage that says, where Jesus says, I will build my church, we, we get that he's the one building it, but we also get that he's the one owning it. The Bible says, Jesus says, I will build my church. Hey, let me, I don't wanna, I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings, but increasingly I've heard people uh, calling Providence my baby. Yeah, and Providence is your baby, isn't it? Well, no. Providence started in my wife and I's living room, you know, while we had babies, all right? And we, we've been able to plant Providence, B but I certainly didn't birth the church. All right, do you know where the church was birthed? 
all right? Not from me, all right? This was not my idea. This, uh, this is me, me uh, saying yes to Jesus and walking in a calling. This, is, this was not, an, I, I never would have dreamt this on my own. I'm going to give my whole life to that. Oh, really? Okay. Um, I did not birth the church. The Holy Spirit birthed the church at Pentecost, all right? So a church without the Spirit is not a church, all right? So, so the, the church was, was dreamt by Jesus, paid for by Jesus, is owned by Jesus, birthed by the Holy Spirit, okay? D never tell me again that this is my baby. I, I am here as a, as, as a brother, maybe as an uncle or a dad or a son here. I'm here to champion and encourage us. I'm here to have us go after Jesus, but I'm not here birthing anything, all right? All right, so Jesus owns the church. I do not own the church, all right? Jesus, do you know how Jesus owns his church? Do you know how the church belongs to him? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, 20. Here's just a snippet of that. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You were paid for by Jesus' blood. Do you know the, the, the high price that you were paid for? Something more precious than gold or silver. The, the, the precious blood of Jesus purchased you. And so the church actually says, we're gladly not our own. You're not setting us free for, for us to just kind of run our own thing. For real freedom is actually you know, being in surrender to Jesus, <laughs> right? So we, the, the church is owned by Jesus. Revelation chapter 5, 19, uh, all heaven is declaring, you were slain, Jesus, and by your blood, Jesus, you ransomed people for God. All right, so, so Jesus purchased the church and he didn't purchase us so we could do church or do our own lives however we want. He purchased us for his father, all right? And so we belong to him. At Acts 20, 28, I, this is a great leadership. This is leadership in the church. It's, it's a fantastic uh, passage for that, but it also shows that the church belongs to Jesus. Acts 20, 28, pay careful. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, ecclesia, ecclesia of God, which he obtained with his own blood, okay? So let, let there be no doubt that this isn't, that churches aren't about uh, senior leadership. Churches, senior leadership is about Jesus. How do you want us to serve your vision for your church that you bought with your own blood, all right? The, the Colossians chapter 1, 18 says, that speaking of Jesus, he's the head of the body, the ecclesia, the church. So he's the head of it. So let me say this too, that, you know, I, I, you know the, the church is not a democracy. Like Jesus isn't doing opinion polls here and saying, do you guys like, you know, do you want to go back to organ music? Do you like this music? Do you like that? Like, I don't, let me know. Fill in the thing. Send me an email. Jesus isn't doing that. He doesn't take opinion polls. This isn't American consumerism. American consumerism has hijacked the church. All right, this isn't, this isn't that. That's not how Jesus leads. This is, learn, this is how we've learned to build the church in the church growth movement. We find out how many people are just like me, look like me, sound like me, make as much money as I do or don't, all right? And then how do we find out exactly what they want? And we figure out something, how to bless their kids and make it like Disney World and all this stuff. And suddenly the, the church is growing, but was that Jesus' dream? Suddenly, when you build a church like that, you have to pay a lot of attention to how long did the sermon go or how long do people have to stand or you have to really help people, like, you know, just you're catering to people because when you build a church that's all about people and not about Jesus, you're gonna have to live with, with that monster, all right? So the church does not belong to us. The, the, the church belongs to Jesus. And so from that posture, we say, hey, yo, Jesus, 
What do you wanna do with your church? This isn't mine. The sooner we let go of the reins of the church and just begin to say, Jesus, the wildest ride is the, is the one that you're on. I just wanna follow you down that thing. So what do you want me to do? How do I show up at church today? Who do I bless? Who do I speak to? Holy Spirit, show me how to do this. And then the, the, the fourth truth that I want us to see briefly is nothing will prevail against the church. Okay, do you hear this? In verse 18 of chapter 16 of the Gospel of Matthew, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the against it meaning the ecclesia of the church. All right? So I, I, I do want to press into this for a moment because if the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, what that implies is the gates of hell will try to. Okay, hear this? All right, so when we hear rumors of, man, what's going on at that church? Yeah, I just hear they're really going downhill. Like, maybe not. Maybe going uphill, all right? Maybe they're being set up for a great victory, all right? Don't suddenly start assuming... That something horrible is going on at the church. God may be leading them in triumph over the enemy who is already defeated, all right? It could just be the gates of hell trying to attack the church, but we know the promise of Jesus here is nothing that hell throws at the church will prevail. It's already been done. The enemy, listen, the enemy can be scary, but he's toothless, all right? The enemy can make us scared like, like a, a squirrel on the side of the road who's in safety, but a car comes by and it runs in front of the car. I'll, I'll never understand that, all right? What we do in our fear is ridiculous, all right? We throw ourselves in harm's way out of fear. And the church doesn't need to operate in fear because we have a great and precious promise from Jesus himself that no matter what hell throws at you, it will not prevail, all right? So that nothing will prevail against the church. Not statistics, not COVID, not whatever, all right? Nothing will prevail against the church. Now, we've talked about four things. Jesus is building the church. He's paid for the church. Church belongs to him. Uh, the, ch the church is built on Jesus. But I want to talk about this word church that Jesus introduced here and used, ecclesia. Um, this, this word is not a word that Jesus invented. It's actually a, G a word that Jesus took out of, of the Greek and Roman culture and then like renewed, all right? It's, it's a word, this ecclesia word was a common term. In fact, in, uh, in Acts chapter, I think it's Acts chapter 19, when there's a riot over the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom by Paul and his friends, there's a riot because they think that Paul is trying to take down Artemis of the Ephesians. And that's a really interesting thing that we could get into, the, the culture of the Ephesian church that worshiped Princess Diana, which we worship today as Wonder Woman, all right? Uh, but uh, so they are, they have gathered in a theater and they're chanting for hours, Hail Artemis of the Ephesians, okay? So they're chanting this and what, what uh, is used to describe that gathering is ecclesia. There's a bunch of people gathering for a purpose, and in this case, it was to drive Paul out of town with, his, with this gospel thing and lift up Artemis, all right? But Jesus actually takes that word and, and he uses it. Now, now specifically and, and just most clearly and basically, the word ecclesia means this, a gathering of the called out ones for a purpose. So the called out ones gathering for a reason, okay? 
Um, and this is what anybody during this day would have recognized that this word means. It's not like Jesus took the word and then radically changed it. What he did is he, he took the word and what, it, what he means, and then, then he, he makes it kingdom, all right? And so what he decides to do is he says, you know what? You know what my dream is? Is my dream is, is I want to gather called out ones for this radical purpose. That's what Jesus says. That word right there, that word ecclesia, that is my dream for my people. I want to gather them. I want, to, I want them to, I want to gather those who are called out and I want to use them for a purpose on the earth. Do you know that Jesus could have used angels that are not like messes like we are? <laughs> you know that? And he could have done his purposes on the earth, but do you know that what his dream is, is to, is to take called out ones, gather them together as a community, and then use them? Do you know that? Do you know that is consistent with Isaiah 61? The, the people who needed to be rebuilt do the rebuilding. Do you know that? This is what Jesus' dream is. I, I want to restore people, and I actually want to use those restored people to restore people. This is... This is what, nobody in their right mind would dream this, but Jesus does. It's the ecclesia, a gathering of the call, called out ones for a purpose. But I do want to talk about, and here's where I'm going to, I'm going to keep stepping on toes. Anybody sore yet? Um, here's, here's what I, I do want to talk about for a moment is called out of what? Because all I have ever heard since I was a little boy in the church, because I've heard this, this definition before is ecclesia, I think even like point of grace or someone like sang a song about it, ecclesia, like house of God, it's in my head somewhere, it's kind of makes me feel weird, but um, the, uh, I've always heard that the, what we're called out of is the walls of the church. And God's calling us outside of here to go out into the community. And that's just not what it means, all right? I, I believe in being called out of the walls, but that's called the mission of the church. That, that's not what the church actually is, okay? That's part of the purposes of the church, but the church is not being the church mostly when it's, when it's uh, not gathered outside just doing all of our own things. That's, that's actually not Jesus' dream for the church. There, there is no doubt about it that ecclesia means gathering or assembling, and we can't begin to under-spiritualize that. So it's, it's, when, when we say ecclesia, we're not talking about what goes on outside the walls first and foremost. That's the mission of the church, but that's not the definition of the church, all right? There would have been no association in Jesus' day with a building for the original hearers. So the original hearers would not have, the disciples most definitely did not hear Jesus saying, oh man, the gathering, well, let's get outside of these walls. Well, they already were. <laughs> They're not saying let's get out of the wall. That's not what Jesus was originally saying. That's definitely not what Paul was saying. For the most part, they were already outside of the walls. Colossians chapter one, verse 13, begins to show us what we've been called out of says this, he has delivered us, that's Jesus, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you see that? So we were in a kingdom of darkness and God has called us out of that kingdom into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what we were called out of. We were called out of darkness into light. We were called out of meaningless into meaning. We were called out of, of shame and anger and bitterness and rage and to forgiveness and healing and mercy. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, 
Um, I, I like this one too. I like it so much that I, I did a bookmark with a flower on it. It's just so, so beautiful. But listen to this. Here's what, here's what the, the apostle Peter is saying about the church. You are a chosen race, all right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Do you, do you hear, like this is, this is so thick and rich. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what you've been called out of? Darkness. You used to be blind. When Jesus showed up, you can see. Why can you see? Because he's healed you, because he's purchased you. So you've been called. So Jesus' dream, when he's talking about the gathering of the called out ones, he's talking about people, the people assembling who have been purchased from the meaningless into Jesus who used to have a treasure in the world, and now they've come out of the world to have a supernatural treasure named Jesus. And we've, all, we've been called out of, of small little loves into seeing that, that nothing is greater than Jesus through faith. All right? So it's the gathering of the called out ones for a purpose, and what we've been called out of is darkness. You know, if, if we just gather and we just, we just make, we make the whole meaning of church getting out of here, we're gonna miss the meat of what God wants to do while we're gathered. Jesus didn't use the word ecclesia, that means gathering, because gatherings don't mean anything to him. That's, how crazy is that, guys? Gatherings mean something to Jesus. Jesus has decided to call the church his ecclesia, his gathering, his assembly. I wanna take the people who've, who've been in darkness and I wanna bring them all together. Do you know what happens when you share a common experience with somebody else? It's like your family like that, right? Right? Like when we see each other gathering on a Sunday or whenever we gather in our homes and on you know, Wednesday nights if you're in tribes, right? Or if you gather tonight at you know, the Coles for their barn night, all right? What happens is you see other people who were once in darkness and now are light, and we're just like, oh man, do you remember what it used to be when we were in the dark? There's a love for one another. It's good, it's family. Now, the significance of, of, of this though is that, is that ecclesia is a people, ecclesia is not a building. It's quickly become a building over the past, let's say, 100 years. As, as church gatherings have, have built buildings. But do you, know what, do you know what church facilities are? Is that church facilities are actually not churches, they're houses. They, they, they house the people. Just in the same way, the house that you all have that your family lives in, your house is not your family, but it houses your family, right? Church buildings are not bad anymore than a family's house is bad, all right? We waited well over a decade, despite massive opposition, and raised a, a, you know, a ton of money to build our own house. And I'm glad that we have it. I'm glad for the day when we pay it off, all right? We're gonna have to start tithing first, but you, know, but you are, all right? You are actually uh, in a more healthy way than ever since COVID. But the, the ecclesia is, is not a building, it's a people. It's a community, it's a family. The ecclesia is not, is not first and foremost called into mission. The for, uh, uh, ecclesia is first and foremost called into us. It's called in togetherness. It, it's, it's called into family. That's why in the church, the churches shouldn't be run by executives. 
the churches should be run by moms and dads. This is why, why Paul is constantly saying to Timothy, you're my son in the faith, because in the kingdom, that's how it works. Ex leading as an executive is, is, is easier because you treat people like cattle and you just get, you know, processed and you just find what they want and you just herd them through. You some, poke them sometimes, you know? But when you're leading as a parent, man, I've gotta, I've gotta take the responsibility for this person. I've gotta give my whole life to them expecting nothing back. Leadership in the church looks more like that, where we're called into community and to family and we're assembling for a purpose. And the purpose is not so we can feel better about ourselves. The purpose is, is so we can make much of he who bought us. So we can lift him up. And it's interesting as, as we operate on our purpose, we're, we're, we're like safe to worship. And as we worship, God meets with us and changes our lives. It's the most beautiful thing. But the church was created to be life on life, face on face, heart on heart, shoulder to shoulder. And you can see like why I'm excited uh, and I'm, I'm glad that people are joining us online and I, and I like it a lot. Like I remember the last time I preached up here, we had a, a pretty intense service, right? There's like 50 people at the altar and we're praying. I'm telling you about how I spoke in tongues and all this stuff. It was, it was really wild. I cried halfway through, you know, and it's really great. And I love that we have, we have live streams that people who miss that can go back and see that. But uh, what can I tell you too? Like if, if, you, if you read Christian stuff these days, the leadership stuff, like a lot of people are saying the future of the church is online. I just wanted to declare today that I'm not giving my life to just filling people with information from a distance. I, I will give my life to, to going to war against the enemy and, and advancing the kingdom of God through the gospel and the power of the spirit next to you till my dying day. I will do that. But I will not give my entire life just to trying to uh, you know, supply some content that we can just partake of from a distance, you see. Now it's, it's great, we should live stream this thing. However God uses it is great. But at, at best it's, it's teaching or prophecy or encouraging. But what it's not is it's not actually the church, okay? It's not actually, it's, it's, it's popular today to say, church is not a building, I am the church, which gives us liberty to not have to come and gather, which is absolutely against the original uh, definition of, that Jesus used to describe his church that he bought for, that he paid for and bought. And we say, wherever I am is church. No, it's not. Wherever you are is not, you are the church, you're advancing the kingdom, but the church is, is the called out ones gathering. We can, we can be on mission, we can bring the gospel, we can advance the kingdom, we can heal the sick, we can do all this stuff as a son or a daughter, but you have to gather for it to be church. And I, I think that a lot of you, you just disagree, disagree. So let me, let, me just, let me just toss this out and maybe I'm wrong, but maybe you are, okay? Listen to this for one second. Um, Remember how I just said that family is not about a house, right? It's about the people in the house, all right? Let's imagine this, Thanksgiving dinner. This comes up and a lot of people in the house have, you got, you got the sports games on, football and everything, and people are relaxing. A lot of people are serving, setting up tables, doing all this stuff. Let's say 30 people come to your house and you're all smashed in on Thanksgiving. And it's time to all sit down around the table and you notice as you sit down around the table that there's one spot open. And let's just say, it's a teenage boy. <laughs> oh, he's not here. Where's Henry? 
Henry, where are you? And you hear faintly from upstairs, I'm up here. And so what Henry did is, is he actually took the meal that everyone spent hours preparing and he took his own plate and he took his plate and he just went to his room. He said, Henry, come down, join the family. He's like, I am family. This is what we do. I am family. I'm the family wherever I go. I'm a Herndon wherever I go. I'm a Smith wherever I go. That is true, but you're not operating in family until you're at the table. All right? So you, you, can, you can be off in your room away from your family and pretend that it's family all you want, but I am just not putting up with that as a definition of what family is. I'm definitely not putting up with a definition that says that's what church is, that you can just be off in a distance and still the church. This is not biblical community. You know what that is? American individualism. And we've been taught that, that the, the gospel is all about our personal relationship with Jesus. And it is, but our personal relationship with Jesus and faith in Jesus ushers us into a community called the church. And, and we talk about, you know, that I, the place that I encounter God the most is when I go walking through the woods. Oh, that's great. That's called an encounter with God. Do you know what that's not called? Church. You know what is church? When you take that encounter with God and share it with the body. When you take whatever you received in those woods and you just go hug it into somebody on a Sunday morning until they cry. When you take, when you get, man, I really got a word. And then the, during this kind of awkward, you know, the, uh, you know, greeting time, you actually say, God, who's that word for that you gave me in the woods? And then you share it with them and they break down. They, they needed your, wor your word that they would have never had if you stayed in the woods. Guys, that is what church is. It's a gathering. It's a gathering. It's, it's Thanksgiving dinner. It's sharing our lives. It's coming to the table. It's, it's preparing a feast and enjoying it together. It's just like, it's like that it is so important. And then that is what catapults us into the world. All right, we, that D.L. Moody is one of my heroes because I went to his school. And D.L. Moody shared this illustration of a, a coal-burning fire, all right? A Lauder coal-burning fire. Let's call it coal. I started there, all right? And he, he gave an illustration of, let's say you have 15 coals burning on the fire and you take one with tongs, all right? You take one and you just put it off by itself and it burns for a moment, but not for long. Do you know what's still burning? All the other coals. Do you know, do you know that is an illustration of the kingdom, all right? You don't burn long by yourself and the church is supposed to be on fire, on fire. Well, where's the fire gone? Well, it's gone into the woods and into bedrooms and it's just on couches is where the fire's gone. It's gone out. And when we come together, you know what? When Jesus told the disciples, when he told them the great commission, hey, we're gonna build this thing, we're gonna do it together. Here's what I'm doing, is, is I'm gonna send you all, all throughout the world, and most of you are gonna give your, your lives for the sake of, of my fame and my name in the gospel. But, but, but I'm gonna send you out in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the world, uh, world to carry the gospel of the kingdom, all right? And he says, but don't go until you first go back and gather. And what happens when they gather is the Holy Spirit falls on the church. Imagine if, those, if the disciples would have run into the world full of zeal for a moment with no fire. Guys, the fire is gone from there. We don't, most of us are, are, are scared of the Holy Spirit or don't even believe in him anymore. We, we're so in tune with church that's uncringe. And I hear that all the time. I hear that from people. Man, the province is just cringe. I would never invite my friends there. Well, I, 
I don't care. I stopped a long time ago doing church for your friends. I'm doing church for Jesus, all right? And you know what, you know what's gonna happen? If you can get past what the world has told us cringe is, and you meet Jesus, you're gonna become cringe fast, I promise, because a fire is gonna happen in your heart. And so, isn't it, isn't it wonderful to just be, be free of having to please men? In fact, the, the, Paul says to the church, if you're still trying to please men, you're not a servant of Christ. I just wanna serve Christ, come on. Right? Like a church that just tries to make everyone comfy and cozy isn't church anymore. That kind of church, you have to stand on a stage and say, can we please get people to make meals for people on their worst day? <laughs> you know, like the church is supposed to be, people need meals and suddenly Heather Trent has 117 people and, and our real problem is there's too many meals. So we have to start taking to the highways and byways. Like those are the problems that we should be having and we have to get back to this. I had a Korean friend at the uh, Moody Bible Institute that, that he, he, he and I were discussing baptism and I told him that, he asked me, what's your de definition of baptism? And I said, well, I mean, baptism is, you know, an identification with Christ, you know, through faith. It's not, it's, you know, that, you know, it's burial with Jesus and resurrection. It's kind of showing what's already happened in your heart, you know, between you and God. And he's like, yeah, he's like spoken like a true American. <laughs> like what? He said, yeah, he goes, that's half right. But he goes, where I come from, when we're identifying with Christ, but we're also identifying with the body of Christ and that this is what gets us killed. Because when we're getting baptized publicly, what that's communicating to the world is, I'm with those jacked up, weird, called out people. It's, it's not just about Jesus. It's, it's, you're, you're, saying, you're saying, this is, I'm with the church. And so it, this is why we don't have official membership here. We have baptism, all right? I don't need your name on a piece of paper. I, 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 need, I need your body here sharing your gifts in your life. You know, when you're, when you're baptized, you're telling everybody around you. This is why you should never do it flippantly. And it's amazing, like how many, how many like in the past year, we baptized over 100 people in just two baptisms and people jump in, they're all excited and we never see them again. That, that's bad theology. That's not us discipling well. We've got to get better at this. When you get in the waters of baptism, you are proclaiming Christ until he comes and you're also saying, I'm with these people. So where'd you go? We need you. We need your fire. Where did you go? Do you know what happens when the, when the church gathers? We're operating in Jesus's dream and his smile. He's always smiling over us, but there's something special when we say, hey, Jesus, take the reins. I'm not as good of a leader as you. My dreams are not as good as yours. Like you have the reins. I'm just gonna hold on, on to you. Let, let's, let's go home, right? So we're operating in Jesus's dream. But we're also operating when we're gathering, we're operating, operating in presence and fire. We're getting together. We're saying God loves to fall on a house, not just a person. Does he fall on individuals? Yes. I, I've been there. I, I know that. But I, I, you get really messed up when you're going after Jesus together. There's something about together that is, that is just, there's, we're not saved as in American individuals. We're saved as biblical kingdom community. All right? There's, what happens when we gather together is as others get built up, and the Bible says that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So you're blessing yourself without trying, all right? Do you know what happens is, uh, when, when the church gathers? is uh, weekly reunions. Reunions. Don't you love reunions? I haven't seen you in forever. 
Don't you love reunions? That's how it's supposed to be when we gather. Paul said over and over in Timothy and Philippians and Romans, I long to see you. I long to come to you. I long to come and impart a gift to you. I just, I wanna come bearing gifts. I wanna come bless you. I long to see you. Where did this go in the church? Where I have to go to church, I don't really wanna go to church, or once a month is fine, to I will crawl on my belly for four nights in a row like they do in Haiti, down a cliff, across a river, up another cliff for hours just to get to a gathering of called out ones that are worshiping Jesus. Like what is happening in the church, God? I could cry over it. It's, it's, it's not church anymore when you have to convince people to gather. We have to get it back, and you know how I think we get it back? I think the, the primary thing that, that pushes people away from the gathering, well, there's worldliness and you know stuff like that does, right? But I think it's, it's unforgiveness. I think when you start gathering with people and you have to see people that hurt you, whether they knew it or not, I think it's just too hard and too messy to actually gather with those people anymore. So in an American sense, you, you, can, you can go to church like you shop for groceries on your app have it sent to your door, go to Wise, go to Giant, go to Target. If you're really a Christian, you go to, what, what is that one? Um, the, the grocery outlet? That's where real Christians go. Like, you know, there's two locations. There's one in Hanover, there's one in West York. Like you, you take your pick. Like I, I, I don't know, but that's where Christians go. But we say, oh yeah, I didn't really like, I had a bad experience at Giant, so now I'm going to grocery outlet. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? Well, yeah, I used to get good deals now. My favorite thing to buy is blueberries, so now I can get them blueberries cheaper than that. That is exactly what the church is looking like, and that is not gonna change the world. People committed to one another. See, I'm paying more. I'm paying more, but I, I, I was baptized into the body of Christ, and, and that person means too much to me, as much as they've hurt me and injured me and changed me. I'm gonna get soul care, I'm gonna get healing, but I'm not leaving that person. That's what the church is supposed to look like. Your fire's not supposed to go out in the church. You're supposed to hold on to one another and love each other. And I really believe that, that this is not the reality that we're operating in across the board. In some cases it is. It's not the reality that we're operating in, but it will be. I really feel that in the church, guys. I feel like God, that God has been breaking down all these weird walls that get people to church because of pizza parties, you know? And actually he's doing something in the church where we want to, let, let, here, just imagine this, hold on. You're saved by the blood of the Lamb for God, ransomed out of the world for God. And people are going to make a big deal about the one who ransomed you and you have to think about it? <laughs> what? We, we have to get what is, what is most basic to the church back, like that our affections would explode. It's like, yeah. See, I, I, I know too many stories about people who, who at the risk of their life go and they sit in a dirt room, underground church with, with tear-stained dirt. They just sit in a circle just to worship God together. And I wanna see that type of a church in my lifetime. So I give my whole life to that. That's, that's what I want. That's, that's what I want. And I really believe that I want that because I stopped dreaming my own church. I said, Jesus, what's your dream for the church? And you know, I think Jesus is, I think Jesus likes our house. I think Jesus likes stuff. But I, you know what I, I really think he dreams is the church being called out people that actually want to be together, treasuring him, fire in their hearts, d d covenanting that we're gonna be family together, you know? You know what happens like when it, divorce is like, ugh. And, and so many of us have experienced that. I know I have. As a, as a child, my parents are divorced and it hurts and it's, you know, and the, the church, that's all the church knows. 
all the church knows. You know the word, the bride of Christ? You know, we're sons and daughters of God. We're adopted, we're grafted into the vine. Like there's so many descriptors of what the church actually is, right? And we don't, we don't shop for church. America has told us that, but I, I'm just, this pastor right here is, is sweating in your face and just telling you the opposite, all right? But let's just, man, it just feels, it just feels like just a moment of, uh, of taking a seed and, and planting it in our hearts. Can we just plant this for a moment? It's deep in our hearts, just be quiet just for one moment, just like, oh God, if there's anything that was true that was said today, Jesus, about, about the kind of church that you want, God, I just pray that you take that seat. And I just pray that we would not offer to the enemy to steal. And we would just walk out of here and say, oh, that was kind of nice. That was kind of, you know, I don't know. Was, you know, I don't know. I think I disagree, but whatever. But God, if there's anything that was from you, I just pray, God, that we would take that seed and that we would just plant it in good soil in our hearts. I just pray that something grows out of this. I pray that your ecclesia, your gathering, your assembly of called out ones. You want to change the world with your ecclesia. I just pray, God, that we would become passionate about what you're passionate about, passionate about the way that you're passionate. We just want to say, Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for them putting us on mission. I just pray that we would see people like you see them. I pray that you would use our church to be dangerous to darkness again not dangerous to one another inside of it. <laughs> God, and wherever we have been dangerous, I just pray for a humility to overtake our hearts where we could apologize and make things right. We just ask for you to move by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.